Chapter 3. The Blacksmith. The captain, being on my mind, reminded me of a blacksmith. He was the reason for this journey. I'll tell you about his importance. This blacksmith, named John, lived across the street from Penelope and I, since we lost our previous owner to a murder. We had been living across the street for a few months already when we discovered the blacksmith. We lived under a deteriorating home, had some hidden places where our little family could stay dry and out of danger during the end of autumn. It was in the middle of town, away from our previous mansion that was burnt down by a recluse drunk cousin of our late master. The man himself was forever busy. He started working just when the sun hit the sky and seemed to be on the same routine every day. Customers would come to a shop day in, day out. He had a two-story brick home, very well maintained, dark red, vines were crawling all about. His bottom floor had an extension to the side with great wooden doors that looked like they were carved out of solid oak. These doors welcomed constant business and seemed to hold the test of time passing all sorts of metal and wood in and out of it. There were black kettles with poor broken arms that needed mending, big heavy stoves sat around as well that needed metal siding replaced. Use and old age had worn them all out. Unusual jewelry glimmered in the shop's only pane glass window. These little trinkets would shine in the window when the sun came through. The early afternoon rays reflected off the blacksmith's artistic talents, just waiting for the young maidens to wear a show. I don't think I ever noticed him away from his garage. He would travel sometimes when he had business, elsewhere mending railings, gates, or carriages with broken wheels. A mighty fine carpenter he was too. In the twilight hours I woke to see a small candle in a window on the second floor and puffs of smoke floating out of the dark. Tobacco seemed to be his treat of choice, like chocolate for some. The man never smiled much, but seemed pleasant enough. He always had a fresh pair of clothes on, even though the work he would put in you'd think that he would be dirty as a flu. I finally met him one day, as he came over to our building, hoping to give me a treat. He was noticing that I was walking in and out of what seemed to be a hole in the basement of this dilapidated house. He gave me a piece of dried beef and patted my head. He was gracious and kind. I remember something that he once told me. It was quite odd, and I never did understand it completely, maybe like all things, in time I will. He looked at my collar, my old owner had made it for me, right on the leather strip, wearing thin, my name, Roger. He said in a low, tender voice that shut out the noises around us as I leaned closer to hear, Roger, a man can be judged by clothing. The clothes you wear, whether fresh or worn, should always stay clean. That will be my teacher when no other examiner is present. I was once an apprentice, and now need to be reminded of my work. My father, who taught me all that I know, used to tell me that you can determine your craftsmanship by how clean you are. He told me, if you have a dusty or a dirty job, and the cleaner you keep yourself in the midst of all that dirt combined with your quality you produce, you know you're mastering your craft. I wanted him to keep talking, like a story in a play that keeps you wanting more but that would be the most he disclosed in any single moment. 
Since the day we met, I always watched as he closed the shop. I cared for my newborn pups and Penelope. He invited us for warm supper, laying a trough of dried turkey with leftover bread and some water for all of us. A real banquet. He had no immediate family that I could see, so I'm sure we were no burden to him. The day before his departure to Australia, he had invited us to stick around at his place. Keep him company. Keep his home company. There was plenty of room in his house, but we slept in a small space in the attic. He was talking to us about this trip he was planning. He got word that his father fell ill. He would always say, quote, ill father, quote, with a desperate and morbid tone. He left us the house and before he had gone, made us a small swinging door wide and tall enough for us dogs. It was hardly noticeable to the passerby. It had its secret location behind the workshop and stairs just below the roof leading to it. It was a perfect little spot. He could feel comfortable leaving it unlocked for us to go as we pleased. A nice gesture, especially as the season was turning to winter. The town we lived in was quiet and peaceful most of the time. The town was just south of Gale, an aristocratic city of Sri Lanka. Not many people came through this area and you can keep to your respected areas without much government interference and taxation. So when he gave word that he was leaving and would have to close his shop for a few months, there weren't many people who stopped by. Once in a while, a few people would give the jewelry in the window a quick glance. The wealthy lived on their own plots of large land and the beggars were more in the center city a few kilometers away. As I was explaining earlier, to some extent, how I got into this midlife crisis it was no fault of my own. It was the doing of a measly thief. The blacksmith had gone. A few weeks later, strange noises would wake us in the middle of the night. One morning, the noises like that of a cat rustling through garbage to find a scrap of food appeared to be the blacksmith himself walking around downstairs on the first floor through his living area. I tried to greet him with a bark. Soon the disheveled, dirty, smelly creature was no less than a streetwalker who happened to catch wind of the blacksmith's disappearance in the first weeks and was trying to take advantage. He turned as soon as I barked. My happy thoughts vanished into heart-pumping nervousness that my life was in danger. He proceeded to shove me out of the bottom with the bottom of his heel and I darted to the back to warn my family to stay quiet until he left. Two weeks later, he still had not gone and there were three of them total now. One woman and another man, bottles of liquor painted the floor as I could see from a small hole in the attic above. John's jewelry was missing from his window. The thieves were pawning his jewelry and drinking all his wine. The wine in old bottles marked from generations back must have been a sacred heirloom left behind, no doubt, grown from the very grapes traversing the small hills behind the home. We could not live like this. The loud noises, scary people were awful. We knew strangers were among us and my pups always woke in fright from their yelling. Something had to be done before there was nothing left of this house and before they found us. I don't know how long the master would be gone for. A voyage seeking out remittance of death only to find his home ruined is not something I wish upon anyone. I could not let this be. 
I decided to head out in search of the blacksmith and bring him back to make things right. The local route to Australia was popular among tourists, military, and merchant ships. I would not have a problem tracing his steps. At that point, however, I never considered with whom I might wind up traveling with and any danger that would lie in my way before completing this task. I said goodbye and made headway for my journey following his path.